I want to open in prayer. I want us to dig into John 6. Um, we are probably going to take, take this last section of John 6 and divide it into two. Um, I did my best to really pack it into one sermon, and I just realized I'm not doing it justice. So I'm, I'm going to take two sermons to unpack the last half of John 6. Uh, before we do that, I want, I want us to pray. Father, I believe that your word is truth. And that, Father, your truth, if we choose to live by it, it will set us free. Tonight, Lord God, set some people free. Tonight, Lord God, speak to our hearts, every single one of us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to obey. That, Father, we would walk in your will and we would truly bring glory and honor to your name. Father, we look so forward to that day in which we stand before you when all the elders are casting their crowns before your throne and we're worshiping you and we'll be able to look back back upon our time here on earth and we would say we have no regrets we have chosen to follow Jesus and there are no regrets we chose to seek first your kingdom and there are no regrets we chose to follow you all the days of our life from the moment we were saved to the time we went to be with Jesus and there are no regrets and so father today speak truth to our inner spirit into our inner man Lord God and I ask you father that you would empower us with this truth to live for you with no regrets in Jesus name amen I was converted at age 14 and within six months I broke cartilage in my knee and kissed wrestling which was dear to my heart even at 14 dear to my heart because I grew up doing it I kissed it goodbye I, I had dreams as a young boy, as a young man, for sports. That was like my life. I found my sense of who I was, sense of significance in sports, and God just pulled it out of my life. See, he had to. And my mom began to minister to me, Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I realized that God had a bigger purpose. And I knew in that moment that Jesus, regardless of how I viewed my life at that moment, Jesus was faithful. That year, I became addicted to pornography. I think it was before I got saved, but it carried over into my Christian life. And for two years, I had this addiction. It, it felt like I lived constantly in defeat. I was saved. I knew I was saved. There was a change in my heart, but God needed to set me free. And two years later, at age 16, Jesus showed himself to be faithful. And one night, as I was in my room, crying out to God to be empowered by his spirit. I had an event with God in which he filled me with his spirit and two things happened. He broke the addiction to pornography and he placed in my heart such a passion and a zeal and a longing to tell people about Jesus. I didn't want to keep my mouth shut and there was a stark contrast between how I interacted with students in 10th grade and now moving into 11th grade. I witnessed every day, many times a day if I could and God began to speak speak to some of hearts. At age 20, I encountered, while I was in college, I encountered, just going through my courses in psychology, doubts, questions about my faith. I, I, I knew I was a follower of Jesus, but I began to wonder, I began to doubt. And 
I want to tell you that Jesus was faithful. He put a one, it was just one book, Why I Believed It by Dr. James Kennedy. And from that moment on, age 20 on, I have loved this to study this, the subject of apologetics. That subject of apologetics will never save me. I remember encountering a pastor who had done the same, he majored or focused in apologetics. And when he was at his weakest point, he said, Mike, I can never deny God. I've, I've learned too much. There not only has to be a God, but this book is true. Jesus, when I was 20, was faithful. At age 30, I remember graduating from seminary and, and seeking to move on with what God's plans were for my life. And in that very year, God closed a door to a network of churches that I'd been serving in for four years. And God just says, no, this isn't the direction I want you to go in. And I was so discouraged, I began to doubt the call of God in my life to minister the gospel, to be a pastor. I just spent four years in seminary. I had spent time in college and in high school evangelizing I loved it. I felt this is, this is what I'm called to. This is what I love to do. And in that moment, that entire month, I began to doubt that call. But people, you need to know Jesus in that moment for me was faithful. And he began to minister truth to me in one of my darkest hours. Thinking that my, had I been deluded and God began to fill me once again with faith. Why? Because Jesus was faithful. Several years ago, back in 2017, my youngest daughter had an operation and almost lost her life. She almost died on the operating table. She was in the operating room for over six hours for a half-hour surgery. She almost died. Several months later, as she was trying to work through it, she, began to, she announced to our family that she wanted to just take a step back. And in the next several years, three to four years, she began to research and, and um, research, not research, but research who Jesus was. I, I felt helpless. I could not speak into her life. It was, a, it was just two or so years ago, three years ago, that she decided to move out of our house. And within a year, she had said she was no longer a follower of Jesus. As our family gathered to pray for her, it literally broke our hearts. And we had been praying for her that God would open her eyes and bring her back to the truth. Give her such a hunger as she had before for the truth of God's word. That she used to lead our evangelism team and she was passionate for the Lord. And the devil got a foot in the door. And that's all that he needed. We were so discouraged. But church, I want you to know my Jesus is faithful. That very same 2020, one of my closest friends died in a freak car accident. Several months later, just the emotion of it all, I began wondering, God, do you even want me to continue as a pastor? Do you want Powerline to continue? What are you doing? What is going on? And God just had to settle my heart. And he spoke to me that Jesus was faithful. Church, I want to tell you today, Jesus is faithful. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe some of you I do, of course, I'm your pastor, but I don't know the depth to the hurt that you're experiencing today. 
I don't know the doubts that you're entertaining. I don't know if there's a back door in your life that's open and there's an addiction. I don't know that if there's a back door that the devil's getting in and he's whispering lies into your ear over and over and over. And I don't know where you are in that journey necessarily. But I want to tell you this, that Jesus' full intention is to preserve you in your faith. Jesus' full intention is to have your back. He is faithful, and he will always be faithful. When you are faithless, he is faithful because he cannot deny himself. There are times in which our faith is so small, one day we're filled with faith, and another day it's like the bottom feels like it just dropped out. What on earth just happened, God? And I want you... Sorry. And I want you to know, yes, that young boy over there is going to come to Jesus one day, and he's, Jesus is going to f- be so faithful in, in helping. I love that coup, by the way. He was saying amen, if you were wondering. Yes. Church, what do you have to say? Amen. There we go. Jesus is faithful. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how difficult Jesus is faithful, even when our faith is weak, he preserves those who believe and continue to believe in him, that he is the only source of life. He is worth living for. Everything is but icing on the cake compared to following Jesus. Nothing else matters in view of him. And yet in view of him, all things matter. Is Jesus the lover and the keeper of your soul? Does he protect you? Does he preserve you? You see, this very chapter is a very divisive chapter for Jesus because he begins to unveil who he is as one who came down from heaven, the bread of life, who gives life. No one else has ever made such an accusation unless they were a nutcase or a cult leader. And Jesus, and if you read his reading, his writing, what he has spoken, you will realize right away he is no nut job. Jesus spoke truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And as we look into this chapter, by the way, that was John 14. As we're looking in John 6, we recognize there, there are two stories that in John, the only two stories in John that overlap with the Synoptic Gospels, the feeding of the 5,000, which happened just prior to the Passover that was one year before the Passover Jesus died on. So it's pretty much in the last year of his ministry. It's only John 6, by the way. And in this feeding of the 5,000 and in the walking on the water, John sets these two stories up to kind of foreshadow and speak of that last portion of John that we're going to take two weeks to go through. We realize that in this first one, that John, excuse me, that Jesus preserved 12 basketfuls of abundance, of excess. And he says, let nothing be spoiled. That Greek word for spoil is also translated destruction and perish. Don't let any of it perish. 
See, food perishes. We, we say spoil. That's fine. That's a fine translation. But later in the chapter, he uses a different word. He uses the word lost, that none would be lost, that none would be destroyed, none perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, same Greek word, but have everlasting life. Why? Because Jesus is the bread of life come down from heaven that gives us life. He is the one, and so he is not just giving us life, he is preserving us. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Now, I'm going to take about five minutes during the course of this sermon to bring a balance to this, okay? Because the scriptures challenge us to not just believe at one moment and therefore eternal life forever and ever is guaranteed, but to believe and to continue to believe. Just five minutes, and we're going to touch on this. We're going to look at Judas for just a few minutes, and then we're going to get back to this because the focus here is Jesus' faithfulness and is preserving us. The other thing that we realized here is in the next chapter, their, their lives are being threatened, and they invite Jesus into the boat. And when he is invited into the boat, that is when he deals with the problem. They're, suddenly, they find themselves on the other side of the shore. And again, this sets us up. Jesus will preserve. He will not allow us to be lost. And yet if we invite him into the boat, he will protect us. This is his promise. And all those things that I have gone through, and some of you have gone through far worse, Jesus has been there the whole time. He has never given up on you. Even when your faith was so weak, he was still right there preserving you. John 6, verses 25 to 71. Long reading. When they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you, you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, that is, that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, on him the God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work, the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the name of the one he has sent. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread, which is very similar to the Samaritan woman's response. Sir, from now on, give me this water. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. 
And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all he has given me, but raise him up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about, uh, about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. That's a little bit of a refrain that he is sharing with us throughout this chapter, isn't it? He will raise us up at the last day. What a promise, church. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Now listen, everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply. This is more than grumbling. They began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give his flesh to eat, to give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, to the Jews, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, hmm, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling, same word back over there in verse 41, where the disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you, some of his disciples, some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come down to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Now he's referring to the 12 here. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, have I not chosen you, the 12? Yet one of you is a devil. Mm. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the 12, was later to betray him. Then we need to realize that when Jesus had just fed the 5,000, the people truly believed that he was the prophet, the prophet that Moses spoke about. Why is this? Second Baruch, now that's an apocryphal book, but Second Baruch says concerning the prophet Moses spoke of would send bread from heaven. This is what it says. It shall come to pass that the treasury of manna shall again descend from on high and they shall eat of it in those years. They expected Jesus not only to multiply the bread, but being the prophet, he would eventually send bread from heaven. They would enter into a golden age. And that this prophet then, God would use. Some believe that the prophet would be the same as the Messiah. Throughout John, however, it appears that the ones Jesus spoke with, generally the Jews, believe that the prophet was separate from the Messiah or the Christ. We see that on a couple of occasions. Regardless, they believed that Jesus, if he were to be the prophet, that he would eventually send manna down from heaven every single day. And they would be living in a paradise for the rest of time. They had wanted to make Jesus king because of what Jesus did. Jesus realized, you don't have the complete picture, guys. You're going about this the wrong way. And it simply says, Jesus perceived that they wanted to make him king by force, and so he basically removed himself. He sent his disciples off when evening came. He then began to walk on the water. Much Jesus had gone up into a mountain. It was not until the third watch of the night, which would be between 3 and 6 a.m., that he then walked out to them as they were struggling at the oars. If we were to look at verse 26, excuse me, verse 24, it says there that they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Their intention was as they moved from the west side to the east side of, excuse me, from the east side to the west side of the Sea of Galilee, or sometimes called the lake, that they would not only discover Jesus, but that their curiosity would be satisfied. Jesus actually rebukes them, and he says, Right there in verse 26, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw a miraculous sign. Church, what does a miraculous sign do? It points to something. Jesus did a miracle. It pointed to something. But they did not truly understand what this miracle was pointing to. They just thought Jesus is going to be the prophet. Hey, we'll crown him king, but he will send bread from heaven. We're going to enter into a golden age. They had the completely wrong picture. They were curious. See, you ate bread. Wow, they ate bread, and they had their fill. That was a miracle. They just—they were curious. They truly did not want to know the truth because the truth would set them free. The truth would declare they're sinners. They're dead in their sin. And apart from Jesus, they have no life in them. 
They didn't want to hear that. They didn't get it that it was a miraculous sign pointing to truly who Jesus was. The bread of heaven, the one who gives life. Not just some prophet who's going to send bread down from heaven. Actually, if we were to go on further, we would discover, if I don't get ahead of myself, they dis- they would, you would di- we would discover that Jesus declares that he's not going to be sending bread from heaven, but that he was the bread and that he came from heaven. Now, let me back up just a little bit because they begin to, they get a little bit curious. Jesus says that if you do the works, rather, if you do, if you work for food that that endures to eternal life, then you'll have eternal life. And their question in verse 28 is this, what must we do to do the works God requires? Sounds just like Several others, the lawyer that came to Jesus and his response was the two greatest commandments. And then he shared the parable of the Good Samaritan. Another time was the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. What do I have to do to gain eternal life? This is a similar question. They're really wanting to know what law of all of these hundreds of laws, what law stands out? If I follow that life, I have eternal life. That's what they're asking. And Jesus, in essence, is saying, guys, you you don't get it. The work, the work that God requires is to believe in me. To believe in Jesus Christ. That's the work. Hey, if you get that right, all the works of the law, the moral law, will come naturally because the Spirit indwells you. And and Ezekiel said, you're now going to yearn to follow after God. You're truly going to say to yourself, well, I hate sin, and I want to follow Jesus. That's what the Spirit does in us, church. It yearns to obey God's law. Ezekiel 36. But Jesus wasn't simply going to send bread down from heaven as I was saying. He is that bread. And he goes on to explain in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. By the way, throughout John, you have many of these declarations followed by I am. Ego, ami. Ego, ami. I I am. Like in Spanish, you would say, yo estoy. I, I am. Jesus, excuse me, the Father back in the Old Testament declared himself as I am that I am, Yahweh. And Jesus is, is using the Greek granted, but he is setting it up, I, I am, the bread of life, the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. I am. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Now listen, he who comes to me, he says, will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. I want you to see that these two lines are parallel thoughts. To come to Jesus, never be hungry. Believe in Jesus, never be thirsty. And if you look at that, then you realize that coming to Jesus, follow me now, coming to Jesus as he's using it throughout this chapter means to believe in him. Coming to Jesus means believing in Jesus. Not partially, 
not nominally, not, in other words, nominal faith, believing or being a Christian in name only. He's not referring to nominal Christians here. When you come to Jesus, man, you're all in. You're a firm believer in Jesus Christ. You're regenerated. You're converted. Your sins are forgiven. You are saved. That's what it means to come to Jesus. It's that type of faith. It's genuine faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to show you something here on the whiteboard. Didn't want you to see it too soon. In verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father, just follow along up there, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Church, what does it mean to come to Jesus? It means to believe in Jesus. So all that the Father gives to me, we're not sure what it means for the Father to give to the Son, but all the Father gives to me will come. That is, they will believe. And the Greek here is the Greek present tense. Here's something interesting just so you can kind of tuck it away, but the Greek present active indicative, that simply means to come and continue to come. That is to believe and continue to believe. It's continuous action. John, especially in his gospel, in his three letters, in the book of Revelation, this, the present tense plays a big deal. And if you don't understand that, you're going to look at, especially in 1 John, and you're just, there's some hard things he has to say there. When you understand that, he's say, that, the, that it means present continuous action, it can be like an aha moment. Oh, now I get it. So all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me and continues to come to me will never, I will never drive away, he says. And if we're going to follow what he says in that paragraph, he basically says, the Father gives to Jesus, and everyone that he gives, they'll come to him. They're going to believe in him. And, can, and those who believe and continue to believe will never be driven away. They will be given eternal life. And those who are given eternal life, Jesus will not lose them. That is, those who come and continue to come. They will not, he will not lose those. He will raise them up at the last day. I realize that there is much discussion, has been for many centuries, once saved, always saved. Is it possible for someone to apostatize? If you truly believe in Jesus Christ and you're a regenerated man or woman, is it ever possible to forfeit the benefits of salvation? Now, I come on the side in which, yes, it is. I grew up, however, differently. I grew up in a very Calvinist PCA church. In my 20s, as I began to think through this, I came to a different conclusion. And I'm just going to suggest to you that they will come, they come and they continue to come. Give me just a few minutes here because this is not the thrust. This is not the focus of the chapter that I'm about to share with you. But I think it's important. And I just want to bring a little bit of balance before I move on. If you were to turn to John 17, that balance, by the way, is what I just suggested. It, once you're saved, are you always saved? And in John 17, 6, Jesus' high priestly prayer, he says, I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. When someone gives someone to Jesus, what happens? They come to him. 
And if they come to him and continue to come to him, he'll never drive them out. He'll give them eternal life. He will not, he will not lose them, and he will raise them up if they come and continue to come. So my question is, did the father give Judas to Jesus? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 12. I was with them. He's referring to those that the father gave him. I was with them. Excuse me. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. The preservation and the faithfulness of Jesus. And he did so by that name you gave me. None. Now I'm reading from the NIV. For some reason they leave this phrase out. And it truly is in the Greek. None of them. So he's still referring to that group that the father gave him. None of them. None of those that you gave me has been lost except, except the one doomed to destruction. Literally, son of perishing. It's that word again. Destruction, perishing, spoiling. That is someone characterized by destruction. Later in John 6, Jesus refers to Judas as a devil. I assure you, though, that Judas, in the very beginning of the ministry, was given to Jesus by the Father. That Judas truly believed in Jesus as a result. But did Jesus come and continue to come? Did Jesus be Judas believe and continue to believe? See, he did not. He was a keeper of the money bag, it says. As a result, his heart was filled with greed. At some point, the deceptiveness of sin that Hebrews 3 talks about had taken a hold of his heart, and he was led astray. And at some point, he walked away, at least in his heart. Here's the tragedy of this. Just prior to this discussion in John 6 and the feeding of the 5,000, all 12, including Judas, went from town to town, two by two, doing miracles, casting out devils, preaching the gospel, and healing the sick. Judas did that. I don't know if his falling away was before that time. It would certainly be possible because Jesus said to those who had prophesied in his name, to those who had cast out demons, to those who had healed the sick, Jesus said this, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. It is most certainly possible that an unbeliever can do miracles. Much more could be said on that, and I'm being, brief, I'm being brief here. At some point, Judas, though he was given to Jesus by the Father, and he came to him, he believed in him, he no longer did so. And by this point, all I can say, by the end of chapter 6, Jesus makes it clear, yet one of you is a devil. Within the last year, or about the la within that last year, Judas had turned away in his heart. Maybe he was disillusioned. Maybe what he bought into, so to speak, wasn't what he had expected. And I'm sure that this teaching of Jesus was just too hard for him to accept. Jesus, it's scripture says, we are kept by the power of God through faith. He keeps me. He keeps you in your faith. And all I can say, church, is if you're going through a hard time, 
Don't continue down a pathway that moves away from God in your hard time. As your pastor, I'm calling you back. Don't go the route that Judas did. Go the route that Peter did. Yes, Peter denied Jesus three times. And yet he came to a place of brokenness and he said, I will follow you, Jesus. Jesus, do you love, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus, Peter said, yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Church, do you love Jesus? And I'm going to charge you. I'm going to challenge you. Then follow him. Don't give up. He'll never give up on you. Don't walk away from him. Follow after him with all of your heart. Now, I'm, I'm done with that, okay? I want to talk about how Jesus, pres- if you're going to follow Jesus, he, he's going to keep you and he's going to strengthen you as you walk in faith. But be careful when your faith gets weak. Fall at his feet. Don't keep going down that road. That pathway is a deceptive pathway. And it eventually ends with your heart being hardened and turning away from the Lord. So you heard me. I'm calling you. Follow Jesus. He will protect you. If you just fall at him with so little faith, just fall at his feet, weep if you must, and just say, Jesus, I am going to follow you no matter what. It is so hard. I don't understand this. As a matter of fact, I'm angry with you, but my heart is broken, and I'm making a choice. Always come back to this choice, church. I will follow you, because at the end of this chapter, there were those that chose not to. Don't be of that group. I'm done. I'm done. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Wow, what what an amazing verse. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not, this is his promise, he, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Every temptation, every trial, every hardship that you face, Jesus will provide a way out. That's how he cares for you. He doesn't abandon you. Oh, you want to, okay, fine. Go run after your sin, fine, Talk to the hand. He doesn't treat you this way. He provides the way out. Every single temptation. But guess what? I have demonstrated with my own life that as much as Jesus provides the way out and that there is no temptation or trial that's beyond me, there are times in which I still choose the wrong. And I, know I must go to, back to the Father with a repentant heart, a humbled heart, I need you, Jesus. I need you. Forgive me. But there's nothing too hard in this life that you'll ever face. Nothing. That's his promise. He's faithful. There's never a temptation that's too much for you. Never a trial that's beyond you dealing with. And trust me, I know what it's like. You hear these words and you say, well, Pastor Mike, you should just hear what I have to share with you about what happened to me just yesterday. I get that. And sometimes these trials and sometimes these temptations, they feel beyond us, but they are never 
beyond us because God's grace is there and he gives it to those who humble themselves. Just humble yourself in this time of trial and temptation. Humble yourself. That's all you must do. Surrender to him and just say, not my will but yours be done. Help me God right now. The way out is right there. He'll give you the strength and the grace to walk through it. Your choice. He's going to keep you by his power through faith. He is faithful. He's faithful, so faithful. Nothing is beyond what God can do in your life. He can always, always deliver. They begin to grumble among themselves. What on earth? How can he say he's the bread of life that's come down from heaven? We know his mom and dad. He was born. He was a baby. My next door neighbor was actually right there in Bethlehem. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) They knew that he had a mom and a dad. What's up with this, Jesus? See, we know about the virgin birth. We know that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and she did not know Joseph, didn't have sex with him, in order for Jesus to be born. We know of the virgin birth. They don't. How on earth can he say he came down from heaven? But see, the Son of God, is the only one who ever could come down from heaven. See, they're curious. They want, who is this? Who is this Jesus? Is he the prophet? Or, I assure you, that's the thunder and it's not my microphone, okay? Just if you were wondering. Is he the prophet? They're curious. And he makes this incredible claim. And he goes even further that we're going to look at next week. Hey, eat my flesh and drink my blood. What? My flesh is real flesh. My blood is real. What? It's real drink? We're going to have to look at that next week, not this week. And Jesus, Jesus says, stop grumbling. And then he goes on to say, you see, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. When you came to Jesus, you only came to Jesus. I know you believed. And that was your free will, and you believed. But apart from God's grace, something that he did to draw you to his son, it may have been the proclamation of the gospel. It may have been a story that you heard, a testimony that you heard that broke your heart. God began, the spirit began to minister to you and draw you, and that's why you believed. Oh, yes, you believed. But the father had to draw you first. If the father didn't draw you, you could never come to Jesus. You know why? Because your heart is so stubborn, and mine too, by the way, so caught in sin, so dead, separated from God, rebellious in my spirit that I would not believe. I was a slave and addicted to sin. I wouldn't believe God had to reach into my life and draw me. He had to draw you. And it goes on to say that At the very end there, he he says, this is why, verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless, he uses a different phrase now, the Father enables him or permits him. Again, a picture of God's grace. Don't take that too far. God's grace. And then lastly, we read in verse, what is it, 45, those who listen to and learn from the Father, yeah, they're the ones who come. See, there is something that you do. 
before you believe, before you come to Jesus. There's something that you do. The Father stirs, the Father begins to teach you. The Father begins to, as he teaches you, you begin to listen, you open your ears, and you begin to learn from him. I'm, I'm, I need to close this. Look there in verse 60. Jesus just began to say, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And they're like, what? And in verse 60, it says, on hearing it, what Jesus just taught, many of his disciples, that Greek word literally means learners. It comes, learner comes from our verb learn, except you add an E-R. In the Greek, it's the same way, except you add an E-T. And it means not just learn, but learner. Look over there in verse 45. It's the same Greek word. Everyone who listens to or hears the Father. Excuse me. Um, Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him. That's the word I meant to emphasize. Learns from him. Same Greek word. These disciples, they're learners. They said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? The Greek word there means literally hear it or listen to it, and it's the same Greek word there in verse 45, everyone who listens to the Father. Here's what I'm saying. These disciples, they were supposed to be hearing, they were supposed to be listening to, and they were supposed to be learning. But there was too much that they hadn't gotten. They were willing to follow Jesus around. That made them a disciple, at least a follower. Here's something interesting. It says on hearing it, they responded, who can hear it? They were listening with their ears, but in their spirit, they were rejecting it. And Jesus said to them, that group, in verse 64, yet there are some of you who do not believe. You're following me around. You're you're curious. You want to learn more about me, perhaps, but the truth is you don't want to. You're listening with your ears, but your heart is not open. And I need to close with this. Church, are you listening to the Father? Are you learning from the Father? Don't think that just now that you're a Christian, hey, you're fine. Are you listening to him? Are you, are, are you learning from him? Is your heart humbled before him? During those temptations, those trials that seem so beyond you when the word says they're not, but they feel that way, are you wondering, God, where are you in this? You've abandoned me. We begin to listen to the lies of the enemy. Those are lies. What is the truth? Jesus will preserve you. Jesus will provide the way out. Jesus will protect you. Can you trust him? Church, can you trust Jesus right now? Regardless of the situation, how hard it might be, can you trust him? Can you not just hear, but continue to hear? Can you come to him and continue to come? If you do, not only do you have eternal life, but Jesus will never lose you. And he will raise you up at the last day. Keep listening. Keep learning. Keep coming. Never give up. Don't follow partway. Church, follow all the way. No trial, 
no temptation, no struggle, no heartache is ever too much, though it may feel that way. Church, keep following Jesus. Don't walk away. Don't be a Judas. The Father has given you to his Son. Let your hearts be pliable in his hands. Don't be like these so-called disciples who when they hear a hard teaching, oh, that can't be true. Don't then turn away. Follow him no matter what. Church, can you stand with me? As you stand, if you could just humble your heart right now in prayer. If you're going through a circumstance that just feels so overwhelming, so hard, questions that are beginning to fill your mind, there are plenty of people here who would be more than willing to help you through that struggle, those questions. But hold on to him. He is more than enough for every need that you have every need. So Jesus, we look to you. You're the bread of life. You live in us. We have this life. It's ours. Sometimes, God, we get distracted. Sometimes we follow down that wrong path. And we begin to wonder just how much that life really is in us. I'm just simply praying, God, call us back. Speak to our hearts right now. Call us. Follow me. Trust me. Know my care and my love for you. Know it. Grasp a hold of it. Don't let go. Don't let the deceitfulness of sin pull you under. Just reach out to me. Jesus, I pray that as we respond in that humbled fashion, lift us up. Be our strength. Fill us once again with faith. Fill us once again with hope, with joy, with gladness, with love, with faithfulness, because you're faithful. We surrender our hearts to you, God. You're so good. This week, lead us down that path of life that is found only in Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.